Let's pray together. Lord, I just was thinking as both of those ladies led us in worship this morning that that we just need to worship you all the more. That we need to adore you more and more. We some Sundays we need to to let go and just enter into a to a richer season of worship. Lord, just draw us unto yourself. Remind us again today that, that you want us to worship in spirit and in truth. So Lord, come and send your spirit that as I would read your holy word that, that you would just enter our hearts in a new way and you would change our lives and you would call us to a deeper and richer knowledge of you, but also just a, a deeper and richer worship of you. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to read from uh, John chapter 4. Um, and I'm just going to read verses uh, 19 to 26 of that chapter. But this is the story of uh, Jesus when he in encountered the woman uh, from Samaria. And uh, as he encountered her, he, they had a conversation about living water, and he, him being the, the living water. And then there was a, a, a bit of a, a confrontation and a, and a rebuke where Jesus asked her about her husband, and, and she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, no, the fact of the matter is, is you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not uh, your husband. And then she, I don't know what her intentions were, maybe were to distract and derail Jesus, but she, she quickly said in verse 19, the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. He's talking about, she's talking about Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he is who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I to who speak to you am he. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Adele Calhoun defines worship as the desire to honor and adore the Trinity as the supreme treasure of life. Worship happens, she says, whenever we intentionally cherish God and value Him above all else in life. 
worship reveals what is important to you and I. You might revise that definition a bit, but the point is valid. Worship reveals who or what is important to us. Everyone worships something or someone. And what or whom we worship reveals indeed what is important. True worship of God happens when you and I put God first in our lives. Worship is when you and I value God above all else. You know, it's always been interesting to me that that we get bent out of shape regarding styles of worship. We get all excited about whether worship should be traditional or whether it should be contemporary or whether it should be highly liturgical. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't take such things lightly either. And I have my own preferences. But we'll see more in just a bit that right worship has less to do with style and it has more to do with God. Right worship is about making sure we're worshiping the God who's revealed in Scripture and making sure we're worshiping God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our text tells us to worship God in spirit and truth. Which I take to to mean in part, you and I can't worship God just any old way we want. Our worship should be Spirit-filled and truth-filled. So let's explore that a while this morning. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Jesus indicates that this is the worship acceptable to God. So what is it? What does it mean to worship in spirit? First of all, and please don't miss this, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The beginning of worship, folks, is is first of all recognizing who God is, and God is spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means, first of all, you and I have got to have some knowledge of God in order to to truly worship God. And and if God is spirit, it means that God is totally other. He's a spirit being. He does not have a physical body. If God were restricted to a body, God could not be everywhere with us. But you may say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Danny, the Bible speaks about the eyes of God and the the mind of God and the feet of the Lord and the hands of the Lord. Yes, it does. That's what theologians call uh, anthropomorphic language, which is assigning human figures of speech, ascribing human characteristics to, to a God who exceeds our capacity to fully understand Him. Uh, even when, when I use God is He, that's that kind of language. It doesn't mean that God is, is He or she. God is God. Any language we have, God is beyond that language. But God in the Bible uses simple human language to help us better understand Him. But at the same time, we could use the, the best words that our language offers, and we still could not fully describe God. 
The point I'm trying to make is we need to recognize how amazing God is as we enter into worship. When, when the Bible, for example, in Romans eleven thirty four 34 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Please, please don't hear that and think your feeble mind or my feeble mind or our finite minds. When you read the mind of God, that in the scripture, that's the Bible's way of saying our God knows everything. Ours is a God who knows all. When you read in the Bible the eyes of God, it's a way of reminding us that God sees all. <clears throat> I know it's mind-boggling to think about God as spirit because we can't see spirit. And, and you and I, we like to understand things. But in this case, we're better off to accept the truth that we will never fully comprehend God. You see, our problem is that because we cannot understand God's vastness, we then try to make God too small. We, in our hearts and minds, I would argue this morning that God's not big enough. J.D. Greer writes, we prefer a God who is small and domesticated, who thinks like we think, who likes what we like, and whom we can manage and predict and control. You see that in our prayers even. We, we, we pray not so much God's will, but we pray the way we want, and we just want God to bless it. But folks, we only have to take a glance at the night sky, and we begin to see just how ridiculous that kind of thinking is. Astronomers estimate that the number of stars right now to be about three septillion, and the number is expanding. And three septillion is this number. It's three with 24 zeros after it. That's what it looks like. And it's growing every day. Every moment. Look, folks, I can't even comprehend the number of stars. So what makes me think I'm going to ever fully comprehend the mind and the eyes and the heart of God, the God who made them? You see, Greer continues, a God we can predict and instruct and control is not a God who will captivate our affections or command our devotion. A God like that's not God enough because we've tried to make him small enough to be understood. He's no longer big enough to be worshipped. To worship God in part. I'm not saying you can't know God. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Scriptures are for, is for us to know God and to understand God as best we can. But to worship God is to understand that our God isn't big enough probably in our own hearts and minds. And that no matter how big we make Him, He's even bigger than that. He's bigger than big. I don't even have a word to use. So worshiping God rightly and first and foremost means approaching God with a very sincere awe, a very sincere reverence, 
an understanding that we're approaching one who's, who's just so much bigger and greater and amazing and magnificent than you and I are. Further, I think when Jesus said we must worship God in spirit and in truth, he, he may have also been talking in, and telling us about worshiping God with heart and mind. It's not just enough to come here and to say the right words and to go through the right rituals. Our hearts must be in worship. Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman, and she and the Jews were caught up in the right place to worship. Should it, should it be in Jerusalem, or should it be on Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans worship? And, and it's important to come to a place like this and to worship. But worship is more than mind or place or liturgy. Worship's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. The original English word for worship is worth-ship. Worth-ship. Which means assigning to God His true worth. And that's more than an intellectual ascent. It's declaring with heart and soul and mind and strength that the God we're worshiping is worthy of our worship. In fact, He's worthy of more worship than we can even possibly give. Because again, He's so far above us. And to do so, to worship God with all we have is going to require the work of of the Holy Spirit. It's going to require the work of the Holy Spirit. Surely worshiping the Lord in spirit includes welcoming and inviting and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit as we gather. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens our hearts and our souls. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us a greater understanding of God's beauty and splendor and wonder. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who stirs us to celebrate and to rejoice and to give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who, who opens our eyes to see all that God is and all that God has done for us in Jesus. And I pray it's the Holy Spirit who inspires our worship services and leads us and draws us all into the praise of God. Excuse me. <clears throat> Therefore, worshiping in spirit, folks, means that, that we should welcome the Holy Spirit every time we gather. We should ask the Holy Spirit to come so that we give glory to God and, and that the Holy Spirit works in and through us to give glory to God. We should ask the Holy Spirit to empower our worship services, to remove any distraction that might keep us on a given Sunday morning from worshiping the living God. We should ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us and to fill our worship service so that the worship might be pleasing and acceptable to God, that it might be unto God a fragrant offering. You see, true worship happens when the Holy Spirit works in us and you and I meet with God and we find ourselves praising God for His love and His wisdom and His beauty and His truth, and His grace, and His mercy, his, his holiness, His compassion, the list could go on and on. God is spirit. Let's worship Him in spirit. 
God is spirit. Let's also worship him, though, in truth. And one of the things I think this means is that when you and I come to worship God, we need to come truthfully. We need to come honestly and sincerely and wholeheartedly. Jesus, quoting the book of Isaiah, said in Matthew 15, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Beloved, we must not pretend to worship. There must not be make-believe here. We must come sincerely and honestly. I know that's a hard thing to think about, but our hearts are open before God. He already knows whether we're sincere when we come. He knows the sincerity of our hearts or the lack thereof. Don Whitney writes, no matter how spiritual the song you are singing, no matter how poetic the prayer you are praying, if it isn't sincere, then it isn't worship. It's hypocrisy. Building on that, I would add that truthful, sincere worship also means that you and I come confessing our sins as we enter into worship. You know what I'm talking about. Some, you know what, some Sundays we come here, and if we're honest, the first thing we need to do is we just need to come clean with God. If we're honest, we know our weak. We know what's happened. We just need to get right with God. If we don't get right with God, we're just not going to worship in spirit and in truth. I'm going to be vulnerable and tell you, there's sometimes between that seat and here, God says, Danny, there's something you've got to get right. Between here and there, you've got to, you got to at least admit it before you climb into that pulpit. We need to do that. We need to be honest before the Lord as we come into worship. Maybe we just need to take some time to be still and say, you know, God, what, what, what really went well in my week? Where did I blow it? You know, I, I want to get right with you before I come and worship. Let, let's worship Him truthfully and honestly and sincerely, sincerely and wholeheartedly. Of course, worshiping God in truth also means worshiping folks in accordance with the truth of Scripture. We must worship the God who is revealed in the Bible. Not the God we want Him to be, but the God who is revealed in the Bible. Which means, for example, that we not only worship God for His mercy and love, we must also worship Him for His justice and His judgment. The point is, if you and I are going to worship God, we need to know the Scriptures, and we need to know the God who's revealed in Scriptures. We need to know His attributes. That's why I'm going to do a series later on on some of the attributes of God and some of the I Am statements of Jesus so that we, we just think about knowing Him better. We need to worship Him for all of His attributes, for mercy and justice and love and justice and omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience. And not only do we need to worship God for who He is, we need to worship God for all He's done for us. In Jesus, 
Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Haley, I didn't know you were going to sing that song when I, when I chose uh, this text. God's working despite me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then that wonderful psalm just goes on to declare some of God's benefits, that He, he forgives our iniquity, He heals our diseases, He redeems our lives, He crowns us with steadfast love. We've we, we got to worship the God that's revealed in Scripture. Worship must always be centered on the Word of God. If our prayers are not offered in accordance with the Word of God, if the Word of God is not proclaimed from our pulpits, if the Word of God is not evident in our songs, then, beloved, we haven't worshipped. We haven't worshipped. We may have worshipped something or someone, but not God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture. And I know I'm coming hard. I'm coming at you hard. But we do need to get back to the heart of worship. To the very heart of worship. Here again, verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Did you hear that? God's seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and truth. That's the worshipers He wants. People who will worship in spirit and in truth. Will He find such worshipers here? Will He find worshipers who, who seek after God for how awesome God is? Will He find worshipers who worship God with heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will He find worshipers that welcome the Holy Spirit and, and seek to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Will He find worshipers who come sincerely and, and wholeheartedly and honestly? Will He find worshipers whose worship is centered on the Word of God? Whose worship is, is given to the God that we find revealed in Scripture? And, and then let me just close very briefly by reminding you that we're talking about a discipline here. Worship is a discipline. It's not about just showing up, folks. It's a discipline. We need to discipline our lives. We need to schedule our lives where corporate worship is a priority in our lives. I know you can worship alone. I get it. But think about it this way. Richard Foster writes, one log by itself cannot burn for very long. But when many logs are put together, even if they are poor logs, they can make quite a fire. Quite a fire. Second, you're going to be much better prepared for corporate worship if you're practicing the presence of God throughout the week. If you're praising Him and praying and seeing Him revealed in Scriptures, you're going to be better prepared for what we do here on Sunday mornings. You're also going to be better prepared for corporate worship if you prepare the night before by getting a decent night of rest. Just a simple matter. 
You're also going to be better prepared for worship if you quiet your souls here on Sunday mornings and you, you ask the Holy Spirit to be present and to remove any distractions and to remove any agenda that you might have that day. I love the buzz of conversations before worship. I do. It, it reveals to me how much you guys enjoy one another and how much you're caring for one another. But maybe when the intro it starts... It'd be just a great time to settle your souls and to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and show you the way and reveal to you any sin you might need to confess and just to prepare your heart for worship in those moments. We also have a time every Sunday morning from 9.30 to about 9.50 to pray and to prepare your hearts for worship. It's my prayer that the Lord will find worshipers here who are prepared to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. It is all about Jesus, folks, indeed. All about Jesus. All about worshiping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.